I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. We love to watch knows that the only important thing about trains is just constantly being on the train. It doesn't matter where the train is going. It doesn't matter if you have something else to do that day. The important thing is to ride the rails forever and never, ever stop. You recorded our whole episode in that intro. <laughs> like like a train, it kept going and going and going. <laughs> well, there's a car. Well, and usually after that, there's a car. Yeah. And well, hold on, there's a car. <laughs> well, not, and eventually the there stops being a lot of those cars. It's a big plot point. But yeah, where we yeah. love to watch, we're movie podcasts. We pick a theme. We do movies over the course of the month around that theme. And we're in our second week of Cursed Christmas Quickies, as we explained in graphic detail last week, these are tantric quickies where we are, for the sake of trying to get back out there, we're trying to get back out there, Peter, and record some episodes. And the only way we can do it is with some quick quickies, which are for us probably about an hour long, where we're discussing some movies that have been cursed by the gods to be Christmas movies. And this is where already this month takes a turn. Some people feel they're cursed and terrible, and some people find they are good movies that uh, bring Christmas joy. Because uh, I think our next two episodes, I am pretty positive on. <laughs> I'm actually so, like, I hold on. I looked at our hold on. I looked at our letterbox rate ratings. Yeah, I gave both these movies four stars. Yeah. Demonic, um, but continue. And you gave the one we're covering today, Polar Express, one and a half stars. And it's yeah. been a steady downward trend as you've watched it over the years, from what I can see tracking your progress. And uh, Home Alone 2, you, which we'll talk about next week, you gave two and a half stars to, and I also gave four stars to. Um, so I think we're going to talk a little bit about why I'm not going to defend this movie to you, Peter. I get... <laughs> why this looks like an orgy of terror of motion capture and bad ideas. And I'm going to try to explain in our quickie allotted time why I like it. And I understand that's tough to defend. But yeah, we're doing the Polar Express. We don't know what the Polar Express is. It's a train that takes you straight to Santa Claus, which on paper sounds great. As a matter of fact, on paper it is great. It's a book by Chris Van Allsburg, I think is his mm -hmm. name. Chris Van Allsburg, a book that is still very beloved. And, beloved. Uh, as we'll get to later, I think the book is a reason why this movie is a was a box office juggernaut and continued to be for a few years afterward. Well, so that's actually an interesting point. So Chris Van Ellisberg also wrote Jumanji, which was one of my favorite books growing up. He's written some other ones. 90% um, of the books he writes is about people finding games because I think he wrote Zathura too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> which is, again, it's Jumanji in space. But that uh, Zathura has a better movie than Jumanji. Um, yes. For Correct. sure. Especially the original. I actually kind of like the two recent ones, but they are doing a, their own thing with the idea. Um, I will take the John Favreau one versus whoever the fuck butchered. Probably like Chris Columbus. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> actually, I think it might have been Joe Johnston, which is sad. But uh, Chris Columbus giveth and the Chris Columbus taketh take away, away, you know? Yeah. yeah. He's given us some of our best Christmas classics, holiday classics, let's say, to include planes, trains, and automobiles. And he's also... Um, made me miserable for many long hours. Yeah. And he, I mean, we celebrate his day every October 21st, mm -hmm. one of the only directors to have a day named after him, mm -hmm. which I think is yep. weird. Uh, people hate it. People are like, let's give it a different name because we should be honoring other directors like Martin Scorsese, Jim Belushi. <laughs> We're gonna, I'm going to move on from this. 
Um, the, I have so many jokes in my head I'm just not going to make. I know. That's why I want to move on. Not because I can't think of jokes, but I yes. can't think of jokes I want recorded for so, posterity. Okay. So here, while we're there, and I'm changing the subject, um, what is interesting is for Curse Christmas, we have covered a movie that I think like, we've two, covered two movies actually that I would like half-heartedly defend, I would say. Um I agree they're bad, and they were absolutely prime candidates, perfect prime candidates for yeah. this theme. But, like, I've had fun times with Ron Howard's How the Grinch Stole Christmas, yeah. and I have had fun times with Christmas at the Cranks. I will admit both of them are terrible, largely yeah. indefensible, whatever. Perfect fodder for this show. Uh, you, I assume strategically, guided our path around Home Alone 2 and the Polar Express for many years. And finally, uh, we have, we just, are, we're too locked in on the Curse Christmas. I, it's, too, I, it's too good of a theme. We yeah. get to be a bad movie podcast once a year, and yep. it's for this month. Yep. And, I mean, we have months where we don't like two or three of the movies in a row, but that's not <laughs> the intention. Yeah. Um, but we... It's telling that for mine, they were like two hour full episodes, real hate fest, real exhausting to the soul. And for you, you get nice, limber, little quickie episodes. Well, hold on. But yeah, that's as we try and that's ramp up and get back, get caught back up with uh, our episode load heading into 2024. So I first of all, I have no qualms about these being in Cursed Christmas. They are cursed movies. My 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 point here for both of them is not going to defend the fact that they are different types of awful on paper. I just get the thing about Christmas movies and you we talked about this in a lot of Christmas Cursed Christmas episodes. Like you get holiday cheer from How the Grinch Stole Christmas. You get some holiday cheer from Christmas with the Cranks. We talked about Mixed Nuts with our guest Bill Fox who I think loves that movie or was it your brother? It was Bill Fox. Uh, Bill Fox really likes Mixed Nuts. He also really likes Polar Express for the record. Yeah. And we – so the one of the fun – Peter and I have talked about this since the inception of the show, that we are very Christmassy. It's OK if you hate Christmas. It's OK if you hate all the different trappings. But Peter and I just generally love the holiday. We love all the uh, accoutrements. Of Christmas, and that includes, for the sake of this podcast, Christmas movies, Christmas music, everything. Both of these movies give me the right levels of Christmas cheer. And Polar Express, though, is a strange one because – so it did come out in 2004, directed by Robert Zemeckis, uh, right before he buried himself in the sand forever, I believe. Um, he buried himself in a mound of digital sand. Yeah. It, it looks just like regular it, sand and it's it so just much like, cheaper. Yeah, it was actually motion-captured sand. Um, <laughs> he took pictures put, of sand and put it over himself. They put a ping-pong ball on every single grain of sand. And, and then stacked all the sand into a pile. Yeah. So you mentioned this movie was a financial success. It was not when it first came out. It was actually it was. a huge... It had a bad opening weekend, and then it made a ton of money immediately after uh, Thanksgiving happened. But it was still kind of considered a disappointment based on what the budget was, and based on all the, the, the power behind it, both Tom Hanks and Robert Zemeckis, in a sense made... Twice its original box office through 3D re-releases and start sort of becoming a holiday tradition. Now, especially think, the IMAX 3D yep. presentations, which neither of us watched because no. we don't have 3D TVs and all that shit. No, and I've never seen it in theaters. Um, I imagine it does not help the bigger the screen that you're on. But I so but I saw this for the first time in 2005. I was 23. Like I don't I don't have the the reason of like. Why I think a lot of people – Home Alone 2 probably falls in more of the category is that I loved it as a kid and I have a lot of enjoyment that I get from it today. I bet Christmas with the Cranks or some of these other ones are the same for you, Peter, although that came out when you were 14. So that's still a little bit indefensible. But um, I saw this when I was 23 and it is true that these motion capture special effects specifically – age like milk we've talked about it on the show many times tron legacy is kind of our like platonic ideal of how bad 
it can be where I remember seeing that in 2010 and being like, they made young Jeff Bridges again. This is Jeff Bridges. It looks like. And then we watched it for the show a few years back. And I'm like, this looks like garbage. This looks like a cardboard man. Why did I ever think this looked good? This is from even earlier when Robert Zemeckis was trying to kind of pioneer that you could make a full movie with actors and motion capture. And it looks like a video game cutscene for a lot of it. And some of it looks worse. I would say it's about two years ahead of where video games were, probably. I would say it's like, if if this came out in 2004? Yes. Uh, I would say like games in like 2006, like the PS3. Xbox 360. Yeah, yeah, I'd say that's that's about as far ahead of the curve as it was. So here is going to be my thesis for this. And uh, try to explain what what I like about it. So the thing about Christmas movies is that almost every Christmas movie that we love or we talk about on the show is Christmas themed with a twist. I actually think Hollywood has had a really hard time making just a simple, this is a Christmas story. Right. Even some ones that I'm not like fully aware of or haven't watched, like Santa Claus, the movie, which is like here it is about Santa Claus. It they there's like a, a twist or something on a formula that that relates to Christmas, sometimes tangentially, sometimes uh, holistically. And like that makes good movies and that makes bad movies. You can talk about even Christmas classics like an elf. Well, that's the twist on what if Santa is real and there's there's little elves, you know, there's elves. What if the Santa Claus movies with Tim Allen, which the first two you and I will defend quite a lot, is about what if the, the suit is the magic power and here's this guy who's a shitty dad and a corporate stooge in the 90s. He has to become Santa Claus. But I don't think there's many movies, even like Miracle on 34th Street, which is kind of like a pure Hollywood classic, is like, what if no one believes this guy is Santa Claus who's working at a Macy's or It's a Wonderful Life, which basically just the finale, the last 45 minutes takes place at Christmas and it gives you Christmas feelings of being together and caring about your family and caring about your community. But it's not really about like the the tried and true story of Christmas. And when they do a story of Christmas, like some other cursed Christmases we've covered, like a Fred Claus, it's always with a twist. What if this guy was real? What if this happened? And it's either mining comedy or irony or something else from it. And what I do like about the Polar Express as a thesis statement is it is just kind of telling this story, this very simple story, which is related to the book, which we own. I actually read it to my daughter uh, two nights ago, so it's also fresh in my mind. This very simple Christmas story about Santa and his elves and the first present and the the magic of that feeling of Christmas and the North Pole without any irony, without any like movie twists, without anything. And it's just presenting it in its kind of most basic format. And there just isn't a lot of movies that do that. And I, I'm literally scratching my head trying to think of another one that pre- presents this simply. And then the other thing I would say is, yes, the CGI is painful to look at when there's characters on the screen. When there's not, I do think it looks pretty good. And it, like there's scenes that actually kind of give me like, you know, some sort of like uh, chills and twinkly stuff of like the train moving across the mountain in the snow light, which are things directly taken from the book. But it still, I think, is effective in those things. And... This is my last point, Peter, and then you can respond to all of it. Zemeckis is a good director. The shots in this movie and the framing and the 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 other stuff looks good. If they did a shot-for-shot remake of this movie with 2D animation or live action and convincing special effects, I think that people would say this is a really good Christmas classic. So I get that you have to enjoy looking at a movie. It's a visual medium. I understand that completely. But I'm saying that the the movie itself, the messaging, the themes, the most of the set pieces is actually really good. It's just undone a little bit by being ugly. And if if you can look past that, I actually think, which I know is looking past a lot. I'm not I don't I'm not underestimating what I'm saying. But I think 
you know, again, if it if it was a 2D animated movie with everything else the same, I think people would go, this is a really great Christmas movie. So, okay. So, actually, I'll start with and I'll get most of the nice things I want to say out of the way. And then we should talk about the visuals for a while because that's going to be the bulk of the talk, right? Unfortunately, this movie is not thematically dense. So, there's not going to be a whole lot of talk about... Um, fucking any anything really below the surface the movie's themes are basically you should believe in santa and that you know maybe the book is more so like hey you may believe in santa a little bit longer or maybe someday you won't hear the bell anymore maybe someday you won't believe in santa but for now you know keep it alive in your heart yeah and uh that you'll experience magic um, and then the movie has a bunch of moments of bravery where the lead kid, hero boy, has to, you know, yeah. do do some bravery. But I don't think that's particularly a theme. I just think it's that they needed action sequences to fill out the book. Yeah. I love the book. Read it as a kid. I actually read it kind of on the tail end of reading picture books, I would say. Yeah. So it was it was something that I like. <clears throat> Honestly, as a kid, I would flip through every Christmas because yeah. I just love the art. The art is Gorgeous. Yep. It is so pretty. Yeah. And um, Chris Van Ellsberg famously was like, when he sold the rights originally to Tom Hanks, was like, I don't want this to be an animated movie. <laughs> and I agree with you. You could take the book and even pieces of this movie, and I'll tell you which pieces later I would excise, but let's stay positive for a moment. Yeah. I think you could take pieces of this movie, take pieces of the book, and kind of make a lot, a beautiful live action, dreamy movie and you could mix CGI and practical effects, sort of like some of the Santa Claus movies have done before, and, yep. and really come up with something, I think, that that's worthy of the book. Two, the there aren't that many movies like this. I would say that this movie, structurally, there's a million movies like this, which is like, I would say like, like uh, college comedies or high school comedies, where it's like, oh, we're going on a road trip. And then you get to the destination and then there's a twist and then you go home. Structurally, yeah. that happens all the time. But I'm talking about sincere movies, movies about like um, movies for children, movies that are actually like trying to elicit like a more complex emotion than just like two goofs go on the road. Yeah. Um, there's very few that feel like this. Structurally, mm -hmm. there's a million movies like this, but feel like this where yeah. it feels like a dream. Yeah. The kid feels like he's decentralized. He yep. feels like his authority figures are in control, but also like a little erratic really and aren't explaining the yeah. rules. Yeah. It's as much a mystery movie with as a, a, a adventure movie in a yeah. sense, because like the that feeling of like what the fuck is happening is the first. I mean, basically the whole movie up to meeting Santa, basically. I yeah, I, I watch I watched this with my five year old and she was asking a million questions. She was incredibly engaged through the whole movie. But like, yeah, she was like, where are they going? What's happening? Yeah. Why is he being mean? Why yeah. is he nice now? Why? Why were they going to throw her off the train? And now she's conducting the train. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyways, so the the. The point there that I want to stay on for a moment is I think that that sort of dreamy quality that's sort of being unmoored from reality stuff is absolutely works. Um, I think that there's sequences without people in it, like the train sequence on the, on the lake that I'm like kind of I'm kind of digging. Yeah. I don't really like this movie as an F SFX reel, so I don't really like the ticket flying through the air sequence. No. But what I do like related to the ticket through the air sequence is you are correct. Robert Zemeckis. Um, I think has lost the, I think he has lost the thread on how to make compelling narratives, how to balance tone, how to, um, rein in performers and make them, you know, um, align with the goals of the project. I think Robert Zemeckis over 20 years has basically just deflated and, and yeah, I think, I think he was but a he good director in 2004 specifically. What was this, what was this movie from 2004? Polar Express. Oh, this movie. Sorry. Yeah. Um, but I think that like I, I'd say I would say I would say about twenty in the past twenty years he's just become a a, a worse and worse director. I think Beowulf is like a, a, a better movie than this, but it's like oh. so simple. I like can't see it as anything better than an SFX reel. Um, I will say the thing you're you're saying is correct. I think that the 
you generally know where people are during that train sequence I'm talking about where it's sort of skidding across the ice. I think it communicates where objects are and people are. It's really good that characters don't have that thing where directors are confusing and confusingly editing the movie together. And all of a sudden a character pops up on screen. It feels like it's like a jump scare. Um, Really great that these characters don't jump scare you because they're fucking terrifying. Um, I think, I think, I I think that the, the general like, there's a confident hand behind the wheel and there's a sense of mystery, which is why one of this movie, I think, sticks in people's mind so much later because it doesn't feel like Santa Claus 3 or a lot of those movies where it's just this candy-coated movie about why Christmas is good. It's yeah. this weird movie where adult figures are are enigmatic and sometimes a little cruel and kids are in danger and in a fo- like a foreign place that they're not even sure why they're there. Like, yeah. It, it, that sort of sense, I think, is unique and worth 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 touting. It is. I don't think the characters are good. <laughs> They're basically not characters. They're basically yeah. just little little kids that you get to that are ciphers for you. Every single original song in this movie, down to the Josh Groban output, is just like so embarrassing. It makes Where Are You Christmas from How the Grinch Stole Christmas seem like a great Christmas classic, right? I don't think there's that many songs in this movie, though. There's, the Aerosmith one it, is incredibly embarrassing, I will give you There's that. There's the Billy sings on the back of the train about why Christmas is important. And then she's like, do you like Christmas? And he's like, not really. <laughs> <laughs> I think that song is fine. I think the I hot like chocolate the song is fine. They're fine. I would say I despise the hot chocolate song. Okay. I would say it's... I'd say it's 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 it has the distinct uh, quality that uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Christmas special has that we we've talked about before in the show it has the distinct quality of like a train song, like you know it's like a bad earworm, like it's catchy but like a disease, you know, it's yeah. like catchy but like tuberculosis is catchy, <laughs> like it doesn't mean it's good. Some people like tuberculosis. <laughs> <laughs> Doctors maybe that want to make a name for themselves. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Another case to study. <laughs> Finally, uh, um, finally. But you, but I, I think the hot chocolate song is like, and that whole sequence is so deeply irritating, and it feels like such a waste of his powers. And I think that like it is so strange to watch like Spielberg in some ways grow into a stronger director over the two thousands, like in, in in certain ways. Like he could not have done West Side Story thirty years ago, no, forty years ago. It, well, it looks, I mean, it, Spielberg has his own. Like Tintin is a little like this. It looks better. I think Tintin looks better. I haven't watched it in a while, but Tintin looks better. Um, and I would say that Tint- where Tintin exceeds is you talked about the comparison to video games. And here's what I'll say. There's a big debate in video games about longevity and games aging well. And there's this this thing that just happened where they're talking about remastering The Last of Us Part Two, a game that came out in 2020. Yeah. Looked insane. I mean, my PS4 sounded like a fucking jet engine and it sounded like it was going to explode and take yeah. off when I played yeah. it. But I mean, the PS4 the, did that with most games yes. for a while. <laughs> yes, but it it looked insane. Like I I I forgot. I was trying to think of an actor, and I forgot that I was thinking of a person from The Last of Us. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I would say that them remastering it three years later is like caused a bit of a, of a hubbub. But it it is part of this debate that's going to continue with video games forever, which is like these games come out that have realistic graphics that's their approach they're going for um a they're not going for a sort of a impressionistic uh, approach they're going for trying to replicate the general genuine article as best as possible and every generation they get a little bit better and in some ways they get creepier (laughs) but those games age poorly i think that i think last of us 2 still looks great but like I recently played Alan Wake 1, which was remastered, but they didn't, like, go back and, like, do the animations again or something. It's not a yeah. remake. And I remember that game impressing me so, so much on every level. And um, now in 2023, it's not that, you know, 15 years later, it's not that impressive. Um, whereas, like, I played Super Mario Galaxy recently, an impressionistic cartoon c- cartoony game um, from a similar era. And it looks great. Because it's not trying to replicate this genuine detail, and it's not part necessarily part of this arms race of who's going to make the most realistic-looking game yeah. uh, every year. And I think you can apply that principle to why Polar Express 
creeps so many people out and makes people uncomfortable. Yeah. Which is that it's it's opting for realism. And it was opting for realism also at a time where mocap technology is not where where it needed to be. Yeah. So like when you're watching a de-aging tech from Michael Douglas and Ant-Man or whatever the fuck, like they are actually capturing an image of Michael Douglas's face and all these million points and using it to, um, you know, in a, in a smart way, uh, back up yeah. what, where, where he was. In this movie at the time, and even, you know, if I, a few years later for that Christmas Carol adaptation, which I watched uh, 15 minutes of on YouTube and will not be watching the full version. <sighs> They are going. They are basically using the film that they have of Tom Hanks and stuff as like reference material. Yeah. Like they just don't. They don't have. They do not have the technology process to capture this. So they're basically just doing video game animation. It's. It is. It is wireframes with textures on top of it, mm-hmm. and you know, there's there's no there there there's a lot of shots where people are moving in ways that are just completely impossible to a human body, but it's like a realistic depiction of a of their face. So it has a creepy, creepy quality. Um, and then their faces are rubbery and still and death like. And the only time that I think the faces pull off an expression is like when the conductor or the, uh, homeless King, what's the guy on top of the train? What's his uh, name? Yeah. Homeless King. Yeah. The ghost. Um, the homeless king is on top of the train and he leans into the camera all creepy. Those shots work because it's a man with possibly still face making eye contact at you and Tom Hanks is voicing the the thing. The real they did they're going for realism here, but they didn't have the technology to pull it off then. People thought it was creepy back then. And every year it just kind of looks worse and worse and worse because they were there they were fundamentally flawed in their approach to animation, I think. What they wanted to do with the animation, I think, is fundamentally flawed. If they had yeah. gone a more impressionistic route, they had taken the, like, Little Mermaid. There's a bunch of videos that always go around of the reference video of a Little Mermaid where they're taking this, like, very cute actor. She's, like, doing all the expressions and they're showing you side-by-sides from, with yeah. the animation. And, like, you can see, like, oh, my God, they that's where they got that weird little, like, wink thing she does yeah. or whatever. That's the actor just acting and then they're using it as reference. In this, because they're going for a realistic thing, it's, like, they just end up being calm and dead-eyed. And I do wonder also, they have kids in this movie who are told to be very serious. The kid performers, to me, are just on a vocal level are muted yeah. like nothing to it they're they're flat and awful and dead like and i do wonder if the kids were confused about what to do in the studio and then they had reference shots of confused kids performing <laughs> or exhausted kids performing yeah. and then they didn't know what to do with the reference shots because the kids weren't really doing anything and vocally they're not really doing anything. And so they, they're going from nothing to nothing and then they have to make it look like an actual kid and then it just ends up look like, looking like a death mask for a child. Yeah, I mean, I look, I'm not going to defend the animation in this, Peter. Like, it does look creepy and it does look weird and I I agree. Like, my point of this movie is that they should remake it. I, yeah, I like agree. that's that is my point and i think that you could do a shot for shot remake and yes is like is there stuff in here that you can excise absolutely some of the stuff they add to take a 10 minute book read to an hour 40 minute movie is incredibly annoying and some of it's fine like i like the chase against the ice and the caribou crossing and like all the other things that kind of and like some of it, I do think, even though the Hobo King has okay animation, I do think he's on that top of that train for way too much, way too early. And, like, my five-year-old was, like, starting to tune out. Like, I think there's a lot you can excise and get this down to an 80-minute movie. And, an 80-minute movie would be great. Yeah, and 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 do a really good story. I, I'm not going to defend that. There are so many creepy shots. There's that shot of the kid running to towards the train the kid that they initially leave behind that goes into the other car and the run is so creepy they should mo- they should mocap that run of like these weird hunt shoulders like he's a gorilla and falling in the snow but his body's wobbling in some horror movie of a creepy monster 
chasing them. There is there's a lot of that stuff, and it's not. Yeah, defensible. that reminds me of the 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 yeti creature from the terror. The show yeah. the terror. Yeah, I mean, there's just so there's, and again, this is why Zemeckis is such a disappointment for his career he was interested in technology and then he just started making movies to play around with technology and became less and less interested in storytelling if he was like what's the adaptation of this that will be a timeless classic like the book is a timeless classic he would have taken another route with it and so that part like i get it if if it's if if and I, I'm not, I'm not, I can't argue with you. I wouldn't argue with. You. I would not say this movie looks good or the characters look good. And I wish there was a different version that existed. I, I just also think I'll go back to my point that like there's not another movie about Christmas that is this pure and simple in its Christmas story. It is just Santa gives out a present. It's nice to believe. Here's. The North Pole, like, here's the ceremony they do right before Santa goes off. Like, that is such a basic premise that no other Hollywood movie really does anything with. And that's okay because it doesn't – you have to come up with a framework for it or else it probably is just like a 30-minute short that that aired on, you know, Disney Channel in the 80s of like the night before Christmas or something – I think this movie gets at something that just doesn't exist in other movies. And I would say that that is probably what what ended up attracting probably a lot of people to this movie, both as kids. But also it's a good one for parents. One of the jokes we have about how bad – like if you – if your kids believe in Santa Claus um, and you watch any Christmas movie, the point of those Christmas movies is almost always that Santa's not real. There's so many Christmas movies that just start with like everyone knows Santa's not real, kid, because they're they're gonna come back around and teach the magic of, of, of Christmas and that Santa is real, but he 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 exists in some fucked up curse form, like like Tim Allen. Um and I like that this one is about like the concept of just losing that faith in Christmas and then gaining it back. And I would actually say, like, obviously, I, I want to be clear, Peter, I don't think Santa's real. And I don't think that you need to believe in Santa to enjoy the holiday. But I do like it as a somewhat maybe it's not even an allegory. I don't even know. But, like, I like that idea of, like, this is, like, rediscovering your faith in a holiday that has, I think, a lot of baggage around it there is a ton of baggage around christmas um even for people like myself that enjoy it it has a lot of like forced religious uh components to it even though like yes we can all make the jokes of it's a pagan festival they stole it first but in this country it has a lot of uh religious significance for a religion that sometimes is very active at prescribing their religious faith to other people in a very frustrating way it's why there's the war on christmas bullshit every single year it also is a um it is a good marking point of like losing your faith in magic as a kid because everyone who believed in Santa for a little bit went through this transition of, oh, Santa's not real. Oh, my parents do it. And the world gets a little bit less magical. It's something that we could spend 30 minutes talking about, about the challenge between trying to give your kids that magic of Christmas without feeling like, oh, in this one area of your life, I lied to you. It's a, it's a challenge for parents. And i I think about it constantly about the right way to do it. I probably get some of it right and I probably get some of it wrong. And then there's also like, you know, the capitalist, let's try to make as much money baggage that comes with a holiday that's that's based on deals and buying stuff and stuff like that. So there's, I think there's a lot wrapped around in the baggage around Christmas. But I do think that one of the things that – the reasons that I love Christmas is because – there is a point where I think you can – it's not required. It's not, it's not something that you should all find this. You're bad if you didn't. Whatever else. I do think there's a point where you can go from finding a new magic in Christmas at this idea of family togetherness and um, 
and just feeling good about people in your life or humanity in general or all these other things that a lot of Christmas movies touch on, but I don't think they make it as simple as this. And so I think there is something to this about, even though this is obviously about a literal Santa Claus and a little kid maintaining his literal belief in Santa Claus to make a magic bell ringing. I do like that the narrative is pretty simple about like a kid who lost his feelings of the magic in Christmas in a very non-bombastic and very muted way, rediscovering that magic through adulthood. And I like that as a message. And I can see why that's appealing for myself, for kids, or even parents of kids who want to show their their kids an unironic un- take on Christmas. So we talked about <clears throat> we talked about we were so um, much funnier last week. <laughs> Jack Frost. Yeah. We ch- we talked about how there's like all these musicians that want to make like the the Christmas standards cool. Yeah. So it's like in in that movie he plays like a bluesy Oh, uh, sorry, a white bluesy uh, version of Frosty the Snowman that blows up the pop charts or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, uh, like, there is something about um, starting a movie, like the Santa Claus, or um, I don't think Elf does this, but like the Santa Claus, or the new Miracle on 34th Street, or a lot of, a lot of these movies just kind of start off being like, well, kids these days are so cynical. We got to make sure that yeah. Santa is updated for the current day. Santa. Well, Elf even starts like that this. a little so bit it, because there's the loss of faith in Christmas and his sleigh doesn't work as well. Yeah. But like so many movies are these sort of cynical exercises yeah. that, that start with sort of like kids are cynical. Yeah. And so we should be cynical and we got to update all this stuff. And it's yeah. like, sure, maybe you have to like address the fact that like Elf does that like kids don't get wooden blocks for christmas now they get ps5s or whatever yeah um i would say actually elf kind of ignores that as well but um like sure you can update that but like there's a there's a sort of sense like oh christmas is is lame or is it (laughs) and i do appreciate that this movie leans in it takes place in 1955 um which makes some of the race politics of (laughs) the way the you think the the um, hero girl is being treated a little weird, but we I didn't know it takes place in 1955. But yeah, it's supposed to be vaguely retro. But um, I was reading some interviews with with uh, with Zemeckis, um, and he he firmly places it then. I'm sure because that was like a point of relatability for him. The point is this: um, I think that you're right. The sincerity of it is 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 very nice. It, I think for a lot of people, it's like overly serious and overly sincere like there's no sense of humor in this movie until it gets to this point where they're just like oh and then there's these two silly conductor guys and yeah. they're pulling at each other's beards that would be yelling. one of my like, excise parts just to be clear yeah that, that part sucks um but it, it uh that sort of the the movie just deciding it has a sense of humor like an hour in <laughs> is like f- fairly embarrassing for everyone involved um but like I think that you're right. I think it's nice to have a movie like that that's so sincere, but it's also not a Christian finger-wagging movie about how we always lose the true meaning of Christmas, yeah. which is Jesus. And it's yeah. like, we've kind of moved on in a yeah. sense. Like, there are Christ- Christmas movies for Christians, and then there are Christmas movies for Americans. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Because it's, it's now, it's a secular holiday. Like, most of my Jewish friends, uh, like... Uh, I'd say half of my friends that are Muslim or Hindu celebrate it, let's say. Um, And then so on and so forth. Um, It's an an American holiday, right? People, to some degree, uh, celebrate it. Um, And, um, or at least go do something on the day off. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) So what ends up happening here is that, like, you end up making these secular broad comedies basically for everybody, mm-hmm. which is great. I love Christmas Vacation, and the whole point of Christmas Vacation is um, your family might be fucked up and weird, but like, I it's okay to um, it's okay to compromise. It's okay to not have this beautiful vision of the holidays. Like it's fine just being together, yeah, and and like forgetting your troubles for a little bit. Not a super complex message. 
but definitely a message that I think you could classify as secular in, in some viewpoint. Yeah. Um, the only really serious Christmas movies are Christian movies, yeah. specifically geared for a Christian audience that's like, you know, people really lost the point of this holiday. And yeah. you're like, yeah, consumerism sucks. And then uh, Kirk Cameron's like, no, consumerism is great. But you aren't thinking about Jesus while you're doing consumerism. Yeah. You got to jerk off to Jesus while you buy the present. It, it is very clear. What you're saying is what you're saying is true. I, I think what you're saying is true. I also think that what you said earlier is also true, which is Robert Zemeckis is not particularly interested in much of this movie, except for what he can do with the technology. Um, and I think that the real sign there is that like for some of the stuff that's like not really in the book he has no real visual idea on what he wants to do with it like the elves are the real thing like they are essentially fred claus elves except for all of them look like they were um pub goers uh outside a factory town in england well like, that's that is in the, like, that is they in all the look book, like guys right? that have been dr- doing nothing but drinking bitter for 20 years yeah but that is in the book i mean it's better art but like they they do kind of look like that and that's also that's an area where i'm like okay if you can't find a way to make this visually pop um you know then then deviate from the book a little bit but like i i wrote the elves and like the way that they a lot of the parade at the end i think is is kind of it's just so design wise it's so over the plate it makes like santa the santa claus with an e movies look really inspired and their inspiration was what if everything you know yeah (laughs) um yeah i yeah i mean i do think you're like I agree that he's not interested in the stuff that he's does not taking imagery from the book, and I would I would say, with the exception of of it's a set piece, like the ticket flying around is kind of nothing. Like I like the shot of the wolves, which comes from the book, um, but it's like he's trying to be visually inventive with with that motion or the train sliding on the ice. But then he's like, I think actually it's like the care of the script he's less concerned about. He's like, I don't know, some annoying kid, like who gets into trouble, like. I, you, you always remember him being more in the movie. He has, like, ten lines. He actually doesn't say that much. But, like, it is just this, like, I think they would have been better served, even within this technology, to, like, don't do the annoying kid. Don't do the weird train conductor shit. Like, don't – if you're not interested in that and you're just like, I don't know, how do we get keep kids interested in this deeply sincere, deeply uncool movie – like, I like it as a deeply sincere, uncool movie. Like, you're right. Like, what you talked about was right. It's not starting with kids today. And as a matter of fact, like, there's not even, like, a, it's the kid who feels bad that he's lost something that was important to him, which I really like. The parents are a little bit like, oh, that kind of sucks that he's feeling that way. But they're not judgmental. They're not, like, stupid kid, not going to get any presents this year if you don't believe in Santa Claus. It's just like, oh. You know, kids grow up and he is sad about it. And I like that it's it is like his personal journey of what he like. Again, he's not he's a cipher. He's not anything in the movie. But I it's because of that it's just deep, especially in 2004, when I think like, God, like it's like the year it's the year after Triple X, where everything was trying to be. Triple X was like, what if James Bond was cool? <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, like this was like. The peak Tony Hawk X Games, like, and I like Tony Hawk, and I'm not trying to sound like a very old man because I like those things. But you're talking about the source that people were trying to emulate, right? Like, yeah, the Tony, that sort of Tony Hawk world was kind of cool, and then everybody that tried to uh, steal that steez was not. If you look at kid movies from this era, you have Elf, which is commenting on a cynical world with a lack of cynicism. And you have every other movie is like Christmas with the Cranks or Deck the Halls. And it's like, what if two neighbors fight over Christmas lights and they hate each other? I mean, it's like every kid movie is like post-ironic, post-cynical, trying to be too cool. And like, I will give this movie some credit for for 75% of the time trying to be a very uncool, sincere story about some very simple things 
told in an attempt at a visually interesting way. I do find this movie compelling. I think there's the 20-minute sequence of him getting lost on the top of the train and having to do the snow jump. Or it's not even 20 minutes. It feels like 20 minutes. It's very long. That is kind of boring. But once they're – whenever they're inside the train or in Santa Claus's village, I enjoy it. Like I do – legitimately enjoy it and i think it would be easier and i'm not saying you're doing this or anyone's doing this to say this looks like shit and i don't like it but i just i'm can i'm continually just like man this is just like a oh uh this is like a nice sip of warm eggnog or something like you know this is like this is just kind of a relaxing here's christmas guys and yeah. like i i like that about it yeah i mean and we've talked we talk about this every year which is that you can't like it's it's sort of like saying you can't account for good taste but you can't account for the thing that makes you feel the christmas vibe right yeah. like there's many indefensible things that I love about Christmas that I um, get me in that that spirit. There's many things that I will defend heartily that seem embarrassing on their outset. Yeah. You know, like we have both. I have both categories there. Um, I don't. I don't watch Christmas with the Cranks every year. I do watch How the Grinch Stole Christmas every year because my wife loves it. But that's a different story. Um, but like, I don't know. I'm. I just became aware that there are people that don't like Elf. Like, it's just a thing that came on my radar recently. Just figured this one out. Um, I cannot imagine finding Buddy, like, irritating in in the way that some people think Buddy the... Also, I feel like everyone re-came around to Will Ferrell again. Like, there was a yeah. Will Ferrell... There was a Will Ferrell hating time, like, with Land of the Lost, which is actually a movie I like quite a lot, or, like, Bewitched, where you just in everything. He made, he made, like five sport comedies and like one of them is worth watching and like yeah it, it was it we I, I have certainly come around to yeah. will ferrell more after getting burnt out post anchorman but you but you get what i'm saying like for everything that you consider sort of like hey this like makes me feel the christmas vibe every year there's someone that's like hey that's deeply irritating and obnoxious and there's no way in hell i would find myself listening to that or watching that or whatever um and like I don't know. Like, I, uh, you can't, you can't account for the thing that, that brings you some sense of joy. Some of it, I mean, like, we're going to talk about something next week, Home Alone 2, which gives me Christmas joy, but I don't like it. <laughs> like, I can't, I can't quite put my finger on why I could watch a movie and be so annoyed that I'm not watching Home Alone 1, but then at the end of it, be like, well, it is nice to see, you know, them get back together. I, I, I'm rocket, so excited to talk about there. that one because, like, I, it gives me Christmas joy and it is, uh, we'll talk about it next week, but I have, I have a lot to but, say about, about so, that movie. Uh, this is also, this is, a, the, the, let's talk about the Zemeckis thing, right? Where, like, he just firmly, there's just stuff in here he firmly doesn't give a shit about. And the thing, the thing that I was quoting at the beginning or I was joking about at the beginning of this episode is there's a line at the end of the movie. Where Tom Hanks says, <clears throat> as the conductor, one thing about trains, it doesn't matter where you're going. It's, a, it's about deciding to get on, which is not, it's not true. It's a line that everyone makes fun of in this movie, but like, it isn't is, it in the book? I don't know. I think it might be. I haven't read the book in like six years. Regardless, it's a line that the they decided to not doctor from the book. And the point is that they, um, the point is that this line is like easily mocked. Mm-hmm. It makes no fucking sense. And Robert Zemeckis anchoring a plus hundred million dollar movie on this is diabolical. Like a movie that took years to make. Yeah. Not not six months, not nine months. A movie that took years to make. And at the end of it, they anchor it on like this like dumb fucking line. Like that is so indicative of the sort of like I need to Oh, be you're right. That now. line is the beginning of the mocap yeah. now. I, I do not need to worry about what Tom Hanks is saying. Yeah. <laughs> I just need him prancing or something. Look, here's I, what I'll say. They remade Mean Girls, which came out in 2004. I think it's time for the Polar Express remake. Yeah, um, yeah I agree. Imagine like, also so- a movie where you get to see the... Se- okay, so like the thing is you're watching it as a kid, right? You're watching it with a sense of wonder yeah. and excitement and whatever. You're probably actually you're probably not watching the kids in the movie that closely. You're probably watching it through your daughters, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, I just stare at my kids when I watch a movie. <laughs> Mainly to make assuming. sure they never look at their phones because yes. <laughs> my five-year-old doesn't assuming. have a phone, but I'm like, don't look at my phone. Yes. <laughs> I'm assuming your own sense of Christmas joy plus watching them is probably like making up for the fact that the kids in this movie are dead-eyed and expressionless and don't seem to really give a shit. Yeah. Make, a, make this movie... With uh, some tweaks, some cuts here and there, make it an 85-minute special effects Christmas movie. And, I mean, this is inevitable, by the way. This is going to happen. The first movie... Well, maybe. They keep re-releasing this one to theaters, though, so they might not. Yeah, but it's, it's going to lose its... Yeah. It's but the going point to. This. It lost it in 2005. The, the point is this. Imagine an actually charismatic cast where you get to see... In, yeah. On screen, you get to see people that are supposed to be your cypher characters them with an actual performance yeah <laughs> experiencing the joy of christmas and like you could feel a sense of connection with them yeah. you, the sense of like the adventure is happening to them but it's also happening to you you can actually invest something into the individual kids in this movie yeah i it would probably work for me, too, at that point, right? Like, Yeah, I think they do that. They cast Timothy Chalamet as the conductor and Santa. And all the kids. And all the kids. I think you got something. Yeah, I, yeah. it is in- inevitable they remake it. And again, this movie is cursed. I would not def- – I would never show this to someone who's like, oh, you've never seen Polar Express? I, ha- I told a friend I was watching it with my daughter and they were like – Oh, I've never seen that. I should show that to my kids. And I'm like, should you, though? <laughs> I don't know if you should. Uh, so That's I, the thing. This may be the last time I ever watch this movie. Like, if it's not relevant when my kid in four, four or five years or whenever I'm gonna my show kid is watching movies. I'm like, coming over when he's five and I'm like, hey, Pete's taking a nap. <laughs> Uncle Aaron's going to watch the Polar Express. I'm going to really make it his favorite. You know what really sucks is he, that at some point I'm going to buy him the book because I love I love the book and I love the See the movie. And read it to him, and then he's gonna be like, and at some point, somebody is gonna let slip that there's a movie, yeah. and kids don't forget Me. that. No, you're watching that movie. I mean, you you can think all you want about what you are not watching later on in your life. I gotta tell you that that semblance of control is a fantasy you have. I'm just letting you listen. Know. Like my child will never watch Dunstan checks in unless I put him in front of him. I'm just hoping that in five years, the Polar Express, this movie is so irrelevant no. that I don't have to show it to a kid. Here, here's why he's not going to watch Dunstan checks. When is he going to see it on his he's, own? It's going to be on Netflix. It's going to be on something that you have. I'm telling you, I'm not saying that he will. There's tons of, of these kid classics or kid things that go, <laughs> they've never heard of and they've never seen. But, yeah. like, I do feel like you have a safer bet with Dustin, Dunstan Jackson <laughs> because that is not going back to theaters regularly. There's no book that I'm aware of. And it's not playing – if it's on Netflix, you've got to go through every kid movie. It's near the bottom. <laughs> they paid $5 to stream it, Peter. So I think that the kid, uh, the boy and everybody being scared of the conductor – yeah. Is like indicative of, or sorry, it gets you to the the feeling of like a broader mystery. What is going on in this train? What are the rules? What's going on? However, I think it's an extremely bad look to have a grown man nagging a kid into chasing his vehicle. <laughs> it's not a good look. And then he does the same. He does the same thing to Billy, the little poor boy that the movie makes a clear point of is in a weird, different social class than everybody else. Oh, we're in the bad side of town. <laughs> Why are we stopping here? Is that like a voice actor from from like Nickelodeon shows? So Why I'm sure I'm sure he boy? is. But like I, he is also one of the Dodo children in Sesame Street presents Follow That Bird. So mm-hmm. if I that is where I just connect him to and like the whole point of that is he has a very that guy if that's how he talks and that's not like a bit good luck. I hope that man has had sex cuz my guess is <laughs> Yeah, put it there. <laughs> you hope his like Jimmy Neutron money has come. Oh my god! Like, yeah, I mean, no, he's the he, he's like, how can we get the most annoying? He's such an annoying voice. He's only been in a couple movies because even the people recording his dialogue are like, this is too much for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's our quickie. 
Here's the thing about Polar Express. I do have one more. Great movie. Hold on. Great movie. Don't watch it. (laughs) Great movie. Don't watch it. I have one more point to make. Yeah. So at the end of the movie, they go to the the, the North Pole, right? It's a city. It's very um, intricately designed, but there's a lot of like order. Frank Lloyd Webber. It's very orderly. Everything fits a specific aesthetic. Yeah. And what I would like you to look up on your own time. Do your own research. Is uh, Hitler's plans for Paris? <laughs> I believe around the Arc de Triomphe, he was going to have concentric circles, <laughs> and, and all have the same like like classic art style, whatever. I think he was more like Roman classic yeah. than like Victorian classic. Um, in these concentric circles, and I, every time I watch this movie, I think of like the illustrations for what Hitler had planned for Paris if he had won the war. Well, first of all, Peter, look. I'm, we're no Hitler fans on this podcast. We are not. But I don't think like I don't think there's anything intrinsically morally wrong with using good city plans, even if a monster <laughs> designed them. Like if it's a good plan, it's a good plan. Like I don't. It wasn't a good plan. I'm not. I'm. I haven't looked at the pl- look. Some of us are not as familiar with uh adolf hitler's architectural work (laughs) as clearly other people on this podcast i'm just saying that in a vacuum like if genghis khan or mussolini or Mm -hmm. pol pot had been like this is a pretty good i think a city design would look this i don't think there's anything morally wrong with using the city design so you're what you're saying here is this Mm -hmm. what you're saying here is this um there's nothing wrong with appreciating mussolini's train policies (laughs) Uh, look, if he designed a really good and efficient railway system as opposed Mm. to use fascism to make things work and punish people. Yeah, Mm. if he look, I think that inherently drawings are not evil. (laughs) You draw some good stuff about some planning. Like, you know, do you know about see some of my drawings? Do you know about Henry Ford? Hold on. Do you know about Henry Ford? Not a good guy. We still use cars today, Peter. Uh, I draw some pretty mean guys. I drew this guy once. He was just like a really mean dude. Um, yeah. His name is. Uh, Would Fred you call him Fred. a bad dude? <laughs> Did you uh, have to he's say a the president. Dude. He's not. He would eat the president. Yeah. And he's not doing anything bad in the photo except for just existing because he's such a bad dude. Yeah. I would say that drawing inherently bad. Also, any drawing that was made in service. As a document to further the goals of the Third Reich would be bad. I'm just saying in a vacuum, a city plan's a city plan. You can like it, you can dislike <laughs> it. I don't know if there's evil attached. I think it also would have been like a traffic nightmare. There's a bunch of there's a bunch of boring reasons for why it would have sucked. Um Again, do you have clearly done your research me... on Hitler's city plans. I I'm speaking from ignorance because I tried triumph of the will vibes. I try to learn as little about Hitler as I can. You've done your research. I you know, I applaud you. <laughs> when you see the the big um, like blimps going over the town square and they're putting on this big show and all the elves are lined up in uniform in this massive town square. And they're like, do you think and they're doing like almost like a military style exercise with skydivers. Do you not in any way think of Triumph of the Will? Yes. No. Um, I mean, I don't watch as frequently as you, so I guess I have that immediate connection. You know, it was pretty indelible the one time I, I did it, it for cinema class. <laughs> it's not a particularly forgettable movie. I don't know. There's a lot of ranting and raving. Um, you know the movie. You know the movie Lenny Reifenstahl. You know, like which one? That, the Hitler rally. You know. Has anyone ever said, "Hey, have you? Did you see one? that that Lenny Reifenstahl movie?" And someone goes, "Which one?" <laughs> I have her. I have her whole Criterion box set on Blu-ray. I've seen most of them. Which one? Which one are you talking about specifically, <laughs> sir? You're going to have to be more specific about yeah. which Nazi propaganda we're talking yeah, I've, about. I've watched twenty to thirty. <laughs> it's a theme on Criterion. Uh, okay, I'm not saying it's a Nazi movie or it's fascist in any way. All I'm saying is that there were echoes. Okay. And the way that they depict Santa at the end is seems like he's like a fascist strongman. I mean, that's a whole. That's I mean, maybe. maybe. <laughs> Although he gives things away to people, I think I don't. 
I don't think select set of children for a big promotional sort of show. Hey, you know, know the the other guy who had a list, Schindler. <laughs> he was on the good side of this debate. I'm not saying Santa of. Claus is a Nazi. I'm just saying. You. I'm merely saying some of the iconography in this <laughs> and the orderliness and the, the you know all that. It's just it's the vibe. The vibe. I are mean, the bad thing is here. Look, look. I think we can admit this. Santa. <laughs> He's an older guy. If they made an accurate depiction of Santa now, he's probably going on some websites and being like, hey, I've been reading a lot about this stuff. Do you know that? Uh, and then a bunch of fascist shit comes out of his mouth. So yeah. I do think if he's you like, were going to make a postmodern Santa Claus movie now, he should be on like fucking 8chan and QAnon <laughs> boards and being wait, like. Didn't, uh, wait, Mel Gibson made an old man Santa movie a few, a few years ago. Do you think Santa yeah. would be like. Oh, there's this website called Stormfront. Yeah. When I'm riding in my sleigh, I want to know a storm's coming my way. The well, they got some interesting literature I've never immigrants? considered before. <laughs> <laughs> I am a thousand years old. I'm pretty gullible. <laughs> Don't take the... Yeah. It was weird that one year that the only people that got presents were unvaxxed. <laughs> yeah, like, now Santa can just, like, Flick his his uh his radio on his sleigh to the wrong channel and and get radicalized. Yeah. Like before, he would have to have like stopped and read a pamphlet nailed to a tree or something. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a lot of work. Yeah. Now, now Santa got radicalized very quickly. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't have my glasses. I gotta go. Mrs. Claus doesn't have sex with me, but I'm a man, and she should. I provide. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Okay. Santa's yeah, in cell. Good, good night. Home alone two next week. I'm telling y'all it's Santa Claus. Thank you so much for listening to We Love to Watch. If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand. And you want to support the show. Show, we truly absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it and it's because it really does help. And so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically, they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years. Uh, we really do appreciate you uh, with kisses and smooches. Peter and Aaron. <laughs>